Hello and welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast. This is our 22nd episode. This is our season and review slash big picture podcast. Uh, I am Eric Murtaugh. With me today on the podcast, we have a special guest. Uh, he is the NBC Sports site leader for Inside the Irish and also the ND lead writer for Bleacher Report. On the podcast today with me is Keith Arnold. Keith, how are you doing? Good, Eric. How are you? Doing well. So... Uh, Today we're going to look at some uh, some macro level questions that I'm going to throw your way. Uh, a lot of big picture stuff, like I said. Um, the format we're going to roll with today is basically a, a 2013 review. Uh, we'll do five questions there, and then we'll do five questions turning our uh, attention towards 2014 and a preview of next season. Uh, you ready to get started? Yeah, I don't think there's anything Notre Dame fans like doing more than taking a big-picture view at uh, football, so this should be fun. This is right in everyone's wheelhouse. All right, the first question is a loaded one. Um, basically, I want to I wanna see how much of a disappointment you thought this past season was um, with the, the loss of Golson, um, the injuries. Did you think it was just a mild disappointment, or did you think uh, it was more in the other direction with a more of a significant regression and more of a significant uh, disappointment. Gosh, I don't even know that I, I would characterize it as a disappointment. Um, I, I kind of think of, you know, look what Michigan did this year. That's a disappointment. Um, I know, you know, a great thing about college football is that it's, you know, kind of 14 weeks of the year, so you spend, you know, the other 38, if that's my math working, um, you know, talking yourself into a perfect season or what's acceptable and everything else. But, you know, I think the loss of Golson is, is you know, that's that's as big a deal as there is. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the pit game stands out as probably um, the second smelliest loss of Brian Kelly's Notre Dame tenure. But, you know, with the injuries, uh, I think there were some individual disappointing performances, but... I mean, it was a fine season. Nine and four isn't going to get you, uh, you know, crowned. It's not going to get you fired. Um, but I think it's 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 a nice top twenty-one, top twenty-two-ish year. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that pit loss. Um, what if Notre Dame ended up winning that game? How do you think that would have changed this season in the in in the large picture? Well, I I think it would have mattered. I mean, obviously, it would have mattered. I, I think the pit loss was was. You know, Brian Kelly called it kind of a blip in the radar, an aberration. But you know, there was there was that moment where I think everybody was kind of like, "Geez, how how much do we freak out about this?" Because it was it was you know, you know, astoundingly disappointing. And I think from the from a point of view is that you thought that was out of the system. Um, but you know, and it was Tommy Reese kind of at his worst. You know, um, I think it, if you win that game, then you get kind of one of those Bob Stoops ten win seasons where. Um, you know, in, in five months when we're talking about 2014, hey, this is a team that's coming off a 10-win season, and then you can build your narrative from there. So, um, that, I mean, that's really the one week. You know, obviously Michigan, in retrospect, looks terrible. Um, you know, spot in Oklahoma, what Notre Dame spotted them, you know, kind of sealed the deal there. But, you know, look, at they're in a BCS game. So, um, and then you beat three teams with 10 wins. So, I, I think the pit game stands alone in its, in its awfulness, but... Um, and I think that's a big thing that, you know, um, the, the, the worrisome set of Notre Dame fandom uh, really kind of clings to. 
And it's interesting when you first answered this question, you said maybe it wasn't a disappointment. Um, we don't know what the final rankings are going to look like, but it looks like, uh, well, at least projecting that Notre Dame will finish inside the, the top 20. So that's back-to-back top 20 seasons. Do you think there's a lot of room to complain with that? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's Notre Dame. You, you, top 20 isn't isn't what anyone aspires for. Um, you know, I think what's what's disappointing in it is that the team never probably played as well as its parts or personnel could be. Um, but I think that's a product of, you know, having a quarterback that can't run the football. I, I think, you know, it's not Tommy Reese's fault he has to play. Um, and frankly, it's probably not Brian Kelly's fault that, that he has to play. I mean, this was kind of a perfect storm of Golson, Gunnar Keel, um, you know, and a Reese being the last man standing. But, um, you know, I, it kind of is what it is. I don't think a top 20 season, but I think next year is when everybody's going to, you know, the, the the stakes will be back up, and, you know, this is where we'll see, hey, did Brian Kelly, is Brian Kelly really trending in the right direction, or is that, you know, is it going to be once every couple of years where Notre Dame has a good year, and then everything else is just going to be pretty good? All right, let's move on to the second question here. Um what do you think was the team's biggest weakness, or what surprised you as the team's biggest weakness uh, in 2013? And um, do you think that whatever your answer is going to be will still be a weakness uh, next season in 2014? That's a good question. It, it certainly would be on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I think the secondary play was surprisingly mediocre. Um, Bennett Jackson who was a guy athletically that, that is a great athlete. I think, you know, when I have conversations with people or had conversations with people in the program, uh, you know, last year, Bennett Jackson, you expected to slide into the starting lineup just because he was a great athlete. He's, he's big, um, track speed, all those things, and he, and he had a really nice season um, on the short side of the field. This year, he kind of, you know, he, he regressed. I mean, he, he looked kind of lost in coverage. Um, you know, those videos that we saw on UND.com practice reports that made us all like Corey Robinson really should have had us all worrying about Bennett Jackson. Um, and, you know, the safety play was mediocre. This was as bad a safety play as the Irish have had under Brian Kelly, which makes sense since, you know, one of the safeties went in the first round. Zeke Mata's an NFL player, and we only saw a snippet of Matthias Farley and believed that, hey, you know, he's a guy who we can just, you know, who Notre Dame can just plug and play. So the secondary is probably there. I would also, you know, add in the, you know, the front seven play was pretty, pretty average for a lot of the year as well. And uh, well, I'll ask you this in a second. Um, we talked about this in our previous podcast. Um, in the Pinstripe Bowl against Rutgers, uh, Matthias Farley didn't really play a whole lot. Are you going to read anything into that? Um, it was basically a four-man rotation back there. Shoemate already. Redfield and Collinsworth, those last two, getting the start. Do you think this had anything to do with Diaco maybe favoring Farley? Do you think this is Brian Kelly trying to get a look at some other players? And uh, what do you think Farley's role is going to be next year as he heads into his third year? I think it's absolutely something you should read into. I also know Brian Kelly talked briefly about, um, you know, it it was his call to get more Redfield uh, for this bowl game. I think, you know, uh, I think Kelly said, if I'm going to decide to use the kid's red shirt, uh, fresh, you know, take the red shirt off and use him this season, I owe it to him to, uh, you know, see what he can do. 
Um, and there's no, you know, there were no better training wheel entry game than a, than a kind of meaningless bowl game that uh, Notre Dame, you know, pretty much knew it was going to win. Um, I, I think safety is really interesting. It's, 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 and I would, add, you know, probably ask you this, is, is, I don't know. I mean, who do you count on back there now? I think, you know, Redfield, if you erase everybody's rivals ranking and recruiting ranking, uh, you know, Redfield's a tall, skinny kid who, who can do some good things. I think Farley... I'd be shocked if he wasn't hurt, but, um, you know, and I, I, I was kind of, I think we'll look at the stats that Collinsworth put up this year and forget that, you know, one of his interceptions was in the last play of the last game, um, another one was kind of a gimme, and he really didn't make many plays, so I think, you know, Notre Dame needs to start playing athletes on the backside of the defense, and I think that's what's going to be very interesting about changing um, at least modestly changing uh, the personnel and also, you know, the system they play. Yeah, and I also think the uh, addition of Mickey Barati into that safety rotation will help a lot next season. Yeah, he was the guy who was supposed to who was supposed to be, you know, the the best of that group, and then the shoulder injury um, derailed that. But he was, you know, he's playing as a freshman and made a big interception, I think, against Michigan a couple years ago, and um, you know, it's it's. It really was a bad season for just from a luck perspective. You know, it just it's it seemed like some of those guys, those, those glue guys in the roster that are maybe that, you know, the tenth to twentieth best players all seem to just drop, you know, or, or have a bad season. I mean, Elijah Shoemate disappears because of injuries. You know, Ishak Williams disappears because of injuries. Sheldon Day disappears because of injuries. Um, and you really are kind of forced to to go, you know, to a, a level of a guy who's not quite ready to play. All right, so do you think the uh, the secondary or the safeties will be better next year? Do you think it'll be a, a weakness? No, nah, I mean, I don't know that there'll be a weakness. It, it's interesting that, you know, how quickly uh, guys like, you know, Cole Luke stepped into the, you know, the top three corners. you got to think he's going to be a starter. Low Wood, who had a fifth-year opportunity, who every thought, everyone thought was going to come back and, and battle Kavari Russell, he's leaving. Um, I think the, the writing's on the wall, and there's some good young um, – you know, personnel on this roster. I think it's 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 going to be interesting to watch um, what Notre Dame does, and you know, I, I can't believe that the safety play um, will stay that mediocre. And I also think the corner play is going to be better too, just because um, you know, Kavari Russell has a chance to be a really good a really good third year starter as a junior. So um, it it'll be it'll be fun to watch, but I don't necessarily think that's going to be the issue. I mean, even guys like Devin Butler. That's that's a big season for a, a freshman that you know in the past we would be oohing and eyeing over, but now there's just better football players in the Notre Dame team than there was in the Weiss era. Yeah, that's a good point on uh, those young guys. Um, my answer with this one was kick coverage. Um, oh, yeah, well that's I mean that that's a you know pardon the phrase, but that was a complete abortion. And I think you know <laughs> Kelly made a joke about it, but I think what happens and and why I'm willing to give this. You know, I'm not calling for Scott Booker's head or or any of the you know histrionics that come out when people talk about special teams play. I mean, remember Nick Saban is not in the national championship game because his special teams suck. So it happens to the best coach in the world too. So let's you know we all had to take a deep breath there. But you know, when when you lose 11 guys and you're too deep on the defense, those are all your kick coverage players. So <laughs> you lost you lost almost all of them there. And then you're playing, I don't know, I didn't chart who was running down and covering kicks, but, you know, there's there's walk-ons, there's little guys, there's big guys, and, and it was terrible. But, 
um, it was it's something they're going to deal with this offseason. Yeah, and I also think special teams is one of those uh, parts of football where um, you know you make an effort to improve one area, and then another area kind of naturally takes a step back. And it seemed like we finally got the punt return game fixed a little bit this year, but then kick coverage uh, goes down. Um, it always seems like special teams is always kind of like that. You're always going to have one aspect of uh, you know punting and punt return, kick returns, field goal unit, all that stuff. You might have one, and that just seems to be the way Notre Dame operates nowadays. Yeah, I tell you what, though, it was fun to watch um, Amir Carlisle actually run hard on kickoff returns. I, I, you know, for as talented as George Atkinson could be, you know, here's a guy who, who who feels like he tiptoes on every kick return, even when he does break a nice return. So um, to see a fearless return, somebody actually understand that you know there's timing involved in hitting a hole in a seam, uh, that was good to see. Uh, now that you brought him up, uh, any insight on? What's going on with GA3? Nothing that I haven't read or talked to other people about. You know, what's what's interesting to me and what's interesting that I think will help a lot of readers of yours and mine, um, this is probably the most buttoned-down, leak-free, um, really one-voice staff and personnel and, and everybody around Oregon football. It, it's, I mean, Brian Kelly does a really good job of, of keeping... Internal things internal. Um, you know, the, this, the, the coaching search. You know, I know people on the staff who didn't know which way Kelly was going, whether he was going to promote within or not. You know, that's, it's, it's just interesting. And I think when George Atkinson II, so George and Josh's father, you know, popped off on a, on a radio show in, in Oakland, that doesn't sit well with this staff, and especially for a guy who's as enigmatic as is George. You know, he's this staff has given him all the chances he could ask for to be a starting running back at Notre Dame. I I don't think it's anybody's fault but George uh, that he's not you know the the A one back without a question. I, I know that the staff was underwhelmed by his you know work ethic and attitude during his freshman and sophomore years. Um, they you know the narrative going into spring was you know George has embraced this. I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the alpha dog here, but you know he didn't he didn't do what he was supposed to do. I mean it's the hollowest six yards a, a rush average you could ever ask for because he doesn't you know there's no consistency and that's if there's anything that um, you know Brian Kelly demands it's it's consistency. All right, so now I asked you about the uh, team weakness that most surprised you. Uh, the flip side of that argument, what was the team strength that surprised you most from 2013, and do you think that'll be a strength in 2014? Yeah, I think, I mean, this was a hard one. I think the offensive line comes to mind, especially with all the backups at play. Uh, but if I'm going to give you one answer, I would say the young wide receiving core. Um, you know, TJ Jones actually played like an NFL receiver. I know we all thought that would happen, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a given. He's a kid who, what did he have, you know, 400 yards, 500 yards a season in receptions, really kind of plateaued, uh, you know, through a couple of years. Um, and then obviously had a great he had a great year this year, you know, going for 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. Those are numbers that you expect from a number one wide receiver, especially in Brian Kelly's offense. Uh, but there's a plethora of young, talented guys, even considering DeVaris Daniels kind of was disappointing. He still had 745 yards and seven touchdowns. That just isn't a disappointing season uh, at the college level. So I, I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing 
how all these pieces come to play. It sounds like Corey Holmes is a legit player. Justin Brent is a legit player. Um, you know, this is going to be – and Torrey Hunter Jr., who's going to come back, and from all – from everything we've heard, is, is a really nice player too. So um, this offense has a chance to be very, very athletic, and especially if they have, uh, you know, field turf to run on. It, it might be a, a time where Notre Dame actually out-athletes uh, opposing secondaries. Yeah, my uh... – my answer to this question is slightly similar to your answer. Um, I went with the deep passing game just because I wasn't expecting Reese to throw deep as much as he did. And uh, you can make a case he was pretty erratic at times, um, definitely inconsistent. But, uh, you know, he, he hit some, some deep passes that we hadn't seen in the past. Obviously looking towards 2014, uh, you know, different quarterback. Uh, so it's kind of a different question there. But... Uh, I was surprised with the deep passing. That kind of goes along with what you were saying with the, the young wide receivers. Um, especially, I would point out, um, uh, not only uh, Robinson, but uh, I'm blanking on his name. Will Fuller? There you go, Will Fuller. Um, I definitely thought he was a, a kid that was going to redshirt, put some meat on his bones, gain some weight. But uh, even for a smaller kid, he's got some really good... Uh, downfield ball skills. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at his stats right now. 26.7 yards a catch. So yeah. if, if you're looking for your, uh, um, you know, the guy that can go vertical, uh, you know, it, it really was interesting that he passed Chris Brown so quickly. Um, and Brown, you know, Brown had a nice bowl game, but other than that, it was a, it was a pretty nondescript year. All right. Uh, now this is our fourth question here with the 2013 review. If you could do if you could redo one play from 2013, which play would it be and why? Oh, gosh, I didn't even read this question, but that's a really good one. Um, I'd like to find something in the beginning of the Oklahoma game, okay. uh, perhaps those back-to-back interceptions, if you, if you can just take that away. Um, I think that's, that's one of those games that changes the complexity of the season. Um, and then if there's a, you know, if there's something that goes on in the... Uh, in the Michigan game, I think, you know, if Notre Dame, there were a few times in that game where, um, you know, the Irish had it. So it just it just felt like they, they just didn't, you know, defensively didn't ever get the stop they needed to get. So I'm going to totally give you a non-answer answer, but that, that seems about as well as I can do without you giving one that I say, oh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, I initially floated towards... Uh one of those interceptions in the early part of the Oklahoma game. Um, but uh, I would pick that first interception that Reese threw against Pitt um, only because I think, uh, you know, they probably kick a field goal there at worst, and uh, the odds of winning that game are a lot higher. And uh, this kind of goes back to what we were saying in the first question here. You know, if they beat Pitt, at least Brian Kelly is able to say, hey, we're not losing those games that, Notre Dame lost in the past. We're not losing to the bad teams anymore. And uh, in addition to that, we're now beating a lot of teams that win eight, nine, ten games a season. And in, you know, in the case of Michigan State, thirteen games. So uh, anything I think that you could do to wipe that Pitt loss, I, I would try to redo that. I mean, are we section. sure? Are we sure Pitt is bad? I mean, it's, it's no. I don't think they're bad. I it's, think it's because it's it's. And this is one of those things, and, I'm, and this isn't what you said, and so I'm not saying this is what you said, but it is one of those things where it's like, you know, Pitt, Pitt's a real program. They, you know, they they won a bowl game. Granted, it was against it was against a ten win Bowling Green team, but they, you know, they won a bowl game. They're they're someone you could consider on the rise. 
they've got a you know a coach that was an elite coordinator, um, and I think you know they they were bad, but they weren't they weren't you know it wasn't a ter- it wasn't a loss like you saw in the seasons where Weiss was under 500 or Davey you know lays an egg. Um, it was it was one of those. No, it wasn't. It wouldn't have been like losing to Rutgers. Let's just put it that way. So right. Um, yeah. It's not like losing to Syracuse. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I mean, yeah. They're, they're even, you know, I think of those. That was it. Syracuse, UConn, you know, Navy. All those losses at the end for Charlie seemed to be far worse than than this one. Even though this 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 loss did make no sense. But you know, I think this is the one game, you know, you can kind of put on Tommy Reese. It's just like you know, you can't. Throw fourth quarter interceptions. That's just that just you just can't do it. So maybe we could hang our hat on the fact that the bad losses are getting better. If that makes any sense. Honestly, I think that the bad losses are getting better. That they remember how many times Notre Dame got just blown out. That just doesn't happen under Brian Kelly, and I think that's a that's a huge thing that you know people don't want to acknowledge. But it's like, listen, there there were games that you would go into as a Notre Dame fan or or just watching Notre Dame play and be like. They do not belong on the same field. It's just not even close. And now it's like there's every game that Notre Dame plays, uh, you know, they're they're in it. I mean, that Stanford game is is you know you should there's I don't think there's a better loss. The team was decimated, and they hung in there until you know Reese just again fourth quarter interceptions. That was the game. But it wasn't as if you know that it was that bad. So it's even with you know of the fourth option at nose guard. You know that's Notre Dame loses twenty-seven twenty to you know a top ten team. So I I don't I don't know that there's that much anger other than this was kind of a boring season. But it's just you can't be that upset about it. All right, our last question here with the season in review. Um, we're gonna kind of do something that you kind of steer during the summer, which is counting down the Irish. Um, all the Notre Dame blogs kind of submit their own ballots for the top 25 Notre Dame players. Um, and I'm just going to review real quickly what the top five were heading into this past season. We had Prince Shembo at number five, Bennett Jackson at number four, uh, Zach Martin at three, Tuit at two, and Lewis Nix at number one. Now I ask you, now that the season's been completed, what would you do re-ranking your top five players from this past season? I would go Martin at one, and I think that's not even particularly close. Um, you know, I would probably still call Lewis Nix number two. Uh, I mean, I think he performed well. I don't think his numbers held up necessarily, but I think he did a nice job. I would probably slide TJ Jones in at three. Um, then I'd put it in there. And, gosh, I... I think I could make an argument for Jalen Smith being number five. Okay. Um, I think that's, you know, again, didn't read this far down in your email, so I probably should have done my homework, but I, I feel fairly good about that top five. Mine is pretty similar. I went uh, Martin, Jones, and then Knicks. Um, I put Russell at four. I, I thought he really finished the season well, the second half especially, uh, and then I put two at five. Um I don't know if he had quite the the impact that we thought he would. No, and I I I think that's you know you look at the numbers now and he's going to come back with seven if if he comes back he's going to come back with seven and a half sacks, thirteen QB hits, just shade under fifty tackles. But 
I mean, what, what, what does it for me on the Jalen Smith of it all, and I think what people are missing, is if you look at the last three years where there were some good at, like like Danny Spond, everyone you know thought Danny Spond, and he did have a very nice season. He didn't put up half the numbers Jalen Smith put up. Um, yeah. And I wonder, you know, TJ Jones had a great year, but number one wide receivers in Brian Kelly's offense always put up that season. They always do. So, I mean, it's it's I if I want to go with the – the VORP, the value over replacement kind of baseball stat. I don't necessarily know that, you know, I, I TJ had a great season. I, I understand why he's the MVP of the team, um, but was it that, is it that elite? I don't know. But uh, that's, I was actually going to, you know, get the band back together and, and do a re-ranking, um, which I think will be a lot of fun because, you know, Prince Shembo, what a disappointing, all things considered, disappointing year, but he ends up with, you know, five and a half sacks, which isn't, terrible but right. he you know he didn't he just didn't take the leap that a lot of those guys took before last season so um and then obviously you know I think there's just was Bennett Jackson just didn't play uh the type of football that I think a lot of people thought he would even though you know he cashes in at number four in the season the team in tackles um he's got five tackles for loss a couple picks brought one to the house um you know that's it's it just when the bad is bad, um, that's the problem. Yeah, and, and uh, you kind of said it earlier. Uh, those guys from 10 to 20 and 20 to 25, uh, it seemed like Notre Dame got a lot out of those guys in 2012. In this season, it seemed like you know a lot of those players kind of had uh, hot and cold seasons. Uh, some of them cold stretches for long periods of time. And, you know, even if you were to re-rank this, I don't know necessarily where you would put Bennett Jackson. Uh, you know, I'm sure some people would have him outside of the top 15, but... Uh, yeah, I think, I, I bet you some people have him out of the top 25 just because, you know, when a cornerback makes a mistake, there's there's no missing a cornerback making a mistake. You know, you can, you can you know, I'd argue for as, as well as everybody thought Jared Grace was playing, you know, it was ugly there to begin with. So it's it's, you know, there's... There was a huge drop off at that position, um, and I, th- I think you know Dan Fox was a little bit more hurt than than uh, than he let on or the staff let on early this year as well. So you know there's there's it's just it's just really hard to hide a cornerback making you know making some or playing some uneven football. That's very true. All right, now let's turn our eyes to uh, 2014. Hopefully, uh, these will be very much more happier times for Notre Dame football. Um, I wanted to ask you about the level of difficulty with the 2014 schedule. Um, and for our listeners, I'm just going to read off the schedule real quick. Um, the Irish start with a home game against Rice and then another home game against Michigan. Uh, the third week, they go and play Purdue at Lucas Oil Stadium in Annapolis. Uh, and then they'll have a bye week, play another neutral site game against Syracuse out in MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, uh, back home against Stanford, um, home again against North Carolina. Uh, tough game against Florida State on the road on October 18th. Another bye after that. Um, they play Navy at FedEx Field uh, just outside Washington, D.C. And then travel to uh, the desert to play Arizona State. Uh, and then back home for two games against Northwestern and Louisville to, before finishing the season out in Los Angeles in the Coliseum against USC. Now, I think... You know, a lot of people are going to look at the schedule uh, and say this is very challenging. Uh, we do know Teddy Bridgewater left or is leaving for the NFL, so the, the schedule 
looks a little bit easier. Um, just how challenging do you think this this uh, schedule is? And uh, as you as it stands right now, I know we're we have plenty of time before the next season starts. Uh, do you think this team's going to win ten games next year? Um, and we can include the bowl game in there if you want. Is this a ten and three team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, the the big the big question, you know, I I'm not the first to say this, but I think the big question is, you know, Stefan Tu would come back. Um, I think defensively he he answers quite a few questions. Uh, I also think you know what is the base defense of this football team next year. I think if you listen to what you know what take it for a very large grain of salt, but you listen to a guy like Matt Elam, um, who's a you know you know touted recruit, he's telling he's being told by the staff that they're going to go to a four man front if he doesn't sign. Um, so it's you know what do they do? But I think you know I think the base level. Listen, this is a hard schedule. You got Rice, who won. You know, when Rice is your cupcake and they won ten games, you know that's that's not that's not just something easy. But I think when you look at, um, you know, those games like Arizona State, uh, it's it's that that seems a little bit, you know, that seems tough. I don't know. Is is Kelly a senior? Is he gone? Um, no, he's a junior. I'm just I looking him up. Now. I want to say he's coming back. Yeah. So I mean, right there, that's 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 you know that's a challenging game. Um, and, and I think you know this. It's they're going to have to play good football, but I think they should win ten games. I think that's that's that should be where the bar is set on a success or you know not success this year. And obviously that Florida State game is going to be incredibly fun. Um, I think playing Northwestern would be a lot of fun, you know. And then you know USC has got a coaching change, and you just kind of you just kind of run through it. I think this is you know this isn't this is on par with this season and the season before. So. Uh, it's probably on paper a little bit easier than the the 2012 schedule, but it's certainly uh, certainly not a Big Ten schedule. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, and that Michigan game looms large as always in the second week. Uh, they can win that game, probably a pretty you know high probability that 4-0 heading into uh, October 4th against Stanford, and you know they have a pretty tough three-game stretch there with Stanford and the North Carolina and Florida State, but uh, you know, hopefully they could beat Michigan this year. I think that could do a lot for uh, winning ten games. Yeah, I think so. I mean, but how does Michigan make themselves less of a mess heading into next season? I mean, that's that's the question. I, I mean, this year they, I know I know why they won the game. I also know why they lost the rest of their games. Uh, you know, and I think I think Notre Dame did more to give that game away um, than Michigan did to win it. So, but you know, if if you compare yourself to the to the benchmarks on you know Notre Dame's kind of schedule, you compare yourself to Michigan, you compare yourself to USC, um, and I guess you could throw Stanford in there now. Notre Dame's in a good spot. I mean, they they're going to have to play well. Uh, they're going to have to get a good season out of Everett Golson, and you know they're going to have to figure out they're going to have to get back to a defensive philosophy that either is don't give up big plays or make big plays, then you know bend but don't break, but don't ever make big plays, which I think was what happened this year. All right, so my next question uh, revolves around the rumored new defensive coordinator. Notre Dame hasn't officially uh, said anything about this. Uh, I'm also searching for new offensive coordinator, but we're going to focus on the defense for now. Um, I'm not sure if you know anything that much about uh, this Van Gorder guy. Um, but uh, just in your mind, do you think that the defense is going to step up and be better than it was this past season? 
you mean know anything about him besides his wonderful mustache, correct? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, listen, I mean, it, it's Brian Van Gorder came back in 2012 and was the highest paid assistant coach in college football. He was tied with Kirby Smart, I believe. Um, so to say, you know, you got to look at it from that point of view. Um, he was the big hire that Auburn tried to make to, you know, to save to save the Gene Chizik era. Um, you know, he though he is definitely a guy who has great aspirations. From I mean, I've spent a lot of time talking to people or you know googling old articles. Um, there's there's a lot to like about the guy. I mean, obviously we don't know it's official. I, I'm assuming it's official. I think Notre Dame, the dead period for recruiting ends tomorrow, um, and then a staff can be back out. So I would assume that this deal uh, or this, you know, this hire is is in the imminent stages. Um, but but I think it's I think it's a great it's a great next step. Uh, I mean, to bar it's it's going to be weird seeing Notre Dame's defense without Bob Diaco. I think. It reminds me of, uh, you know, to give you a Friday Night Lights reference, it's, it's, you know, watching Coach Taylor go from wearing blue to wearing red with East Dill, and it's just, it doesn't make sense, but it does feel like, you know, this is, uh, you know, the first era of Brian Kelly and Oregon football is over, and I think this hire um, is everything you'd expect from, you know, a guy who's turned, what, four or five coordinators into head coaches. Um, and and I guess that's what that's what we'll we'll ultimately judge this hire by. Now behind the scenes at One Foot Down, uh, with all of our writers who've been, this is probably the the biggest topic that we've been talking about, um, is the the fact that uh, Notre Dame might be going away from the three four next year. Um, you know Brian Kelly and a lot of other people say, well they play you know a multiple front, they'll play four three about half the time. Um, but uh, I've been one of those people that kind of think that Notre Dame should switch full-time to a 4-3. I think it fits the school a little better. I think it fits their recruiting profile a little bit better. Um, Wait, I've seen some go stuff. into that. How, how do you, how, why do you say that? Well, my point is I think, you know, with a 3-4, in terms of recruiting, you know, a lot of people say, well, Notre Dame struggles to recruit defensive linemen. I don't really think that Notre Dame struggles to recruit defensive linemen, at least not with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Um, you know, if you want to run a 3-4, you don't necessarily need to have a big nose guard, but I think that's a big asset that you want to have at nose guard, and I think those are really hard to find, as Notre Dame's, you know, found out over the past three years not being able to really fill Lewis Nix's shoes. Um, and then the other thing is with a 3-4, you need, you know, very large but yet fast linebackers, and I think that's one area where uh, Notre Dame struggles a little bit. Now they do have Jalen Smith and Jarek Grace, um, those are two, you know, good young linebackers. But I think, in terms of you know, where does Notre Dame struggle? You know, looking before the Brian Kelly era, linebacker was just a, a black hole for recruiting. I mean, there, who was the best linebacker before Manti Teo showed up? It's a, it's a pretty uh, pathetic list. So, um, you know, I I think at least with the players coming in, um, you know, they're hitting the front seven hard. I I definitely think that the four three. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think it fits the the program a little bit better. I think you're probably right. I also think that if it, you know, for as three four base as this te- this defense is supposed to be, didn't Prince Shembo play with his hand on the ground for just about the last month and a half of the season? 
So I think we were, we, it, there wasn't much of a of a three four in place, especially when uh, when Knicks went down. But uh, you know, your points are are tremendously valid. I would just point uh, the, the the counter I would make is now you got to find two guys who can play uh, defensive tackle every you know two guys who can line up next to each other, um, and that's not all that easy. But I, I think that you know the hiring of Van Gorder. If that's indeed the hire, and let's just assume it is, um, it does point to listen. You know, there's always going to be a subset of three-four defense with this group. Um, I, but I also think Van Gorder, who's one of the, you know, he was one of the. I think Football Outsiders had him as one of the most prominent zone blitzing uh, coordinators at the NFL level, um, and that was at Atlanta. And then he just went and you know coached under Rex Ryan, who you know is kind of the architect of that three-four. You know, guys coming from everywhere. Defense, it's 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 a sign more than anything that I think this defense is going to get uh, aggressive. I thought Tim Priester had a nice uh, Q and A with Bob Diaco, where we learned more about Diaco and Diaco's relationship with Kelly and his philosophy on defense than anything we've ever learned about him when he was at Notre Dame. And the 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 big thing that I took away from it was, you know, Kelly and Diaco were getting into it at Cincinnati, and he was like, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to go down? Basically, do you want to bleed to death or you want to go down in a hail, in a you know a hail of bullets? And you know, in a textbook Diaco answer, you know, said, "Are those my only two options?" <laughs> and I think, you know, it, it took Kelly back, and and Diaco thought about it, and he said, "You know, I would rather uh, you know bleed to death slowly." And I think you saw that with Notre Dame's defense the last couple of years. Um, and, and Diaco also said, if it were up to Brian Kelly, he's the most fearless coach I've ever seen. All he wants to do is attack, attack, attack. So I think bringing in a guy like Diaco was perfect for this defense because this defense was so terrible before him. You know, they, they gave up big plays. They couldn't stop the run. They had nothing to hang their hat on. You know, Diaco's got the base level of competency up to a pretty, you know, astoundingly good level. And I think maybe a guy like Van Gorder, if he is more, you know, more aggressive or, or if that's the, the next, you know, uh, evolutionary step, then this is this is, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you touched on a lot of points that uh, we've been discussing uh, one foot down. Um, it kind of seems like the Notre Dame 3-4 under Diaco is kind of inverted um, in the sense of, you know, places like Stanford and Alabama, um, they kind of just have guys at defensive line, and then their linebackers are really the playmakers. Um, you know, like you said, being really aggressive and blitzing a lot, making plays in the backfield. And Notre Dame's kind of been the opposite of that, they kind of rely more on their defensive line to make those big plays and the linebackers. Uh, and I know obviously Teo was involved heavily, but you know he wasn't really a big guy with tackles for loss and sacks. He barely even uh, you know blitzed a whole lot throughout his career under Diaco. So uh, you know I'm interested to see how they they do. You know this new hire pans out. Um, I'm with you. I think they need to get more aggressive, um, but. Uh, you know, I, I, we'll talk about uh, one of the freshmen coming in here. I just, I just think there's a there's a couple guys coming in here, and I think you know, I want to see these guys uh, set loose against the quarterback, use their speed, and get after the guys into the backfield. And uh, you know, I'm not sure if the three four really fits that philosophy too well. But if, like you said, if they get more aggressive with the blitzing and uh, stuff like that, then that's something you can definitely get on board with. Well, just to go back to, and not to you know, beat this into the ground, but 
looking at Notre Dame's just stats for tackles for loss, it's 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 kind of ridiculously uh, low. Like this year, 98th in tackles for loss. Um, last year, a year where you know Notre Dame was number two in scoring defense in the country, even including I think that blowout uh, to Alabama. They're 71st in the country. The year before that, let me make sure my internet updates, but they're 68th. So it's just you know that's that's mediocre. Uh, in tackles for loss and coming in to to South Bend, uh, you know, I, we were talking about the numbers that Bob Diaco's outside linebackers and tackles for loss and the things they they were doing at Cincinnati. So I, a lot of a lot of what this staff does is they you know they coach a whole it's a whole game plan you know so it's it's you know a lot of what is done on defense predicated on what's happening with the offense. So it's it's not as if you know there's two two brains doing two different things, which I think what was going on in the Weiss era, um, that, that it's all comes together. So, but yeah, it's, you gotta, you ultimately have to make big plays, especially in this era of offense, which is so different than football was 10 years ago. Yeah, and like you said, I think they uh, came in in 2010, said, you know, we have to stop the run, we have to stop the big plays, that was killing Notre Dame in previous seasons, and uh, they did that really well. And uh, but at the same time, I think they kind of uh, couldn't really break out of that uh, break out of that mold and do some different things. So um, hopefully, they can do that in the future. All right, uh, let's move on to our next question here, um, and this will be kind of a fun one. Who do you think will be a couple of players that you think uh, are going to be primed for a breakout season in 2014? Let's see. I think you know. Everybody should just say Greg Bryant together. I think that yep. sounds fun. He's on um, my list. Yep. Uh, I, I think someone like Sheldon Day and Ishak Williams, I think both those guys kind of um, got hosed out of a year where they were going to make nice strides uh, due to injuries. I think Day especially is a guy who I think could wreak havoc, especially if Tuit comes back. Um, I'm not giving up on Ishak Williams yet, although you know history would tell us that we, we shouldn't expect that um, that gigantic season where he becomes a first-round draft pick, where I think like the big league still sees that potentially happening. Um, you know, I think one of the young receivers is going to do something great, uh, whether it's Corey Robinson or Will Fuller. Uh, those are, you know, and then, you know, DeVars Daniels. Is this the year where, you know, he's a senior, not eligibility-wise, but he's a senior. Is this the year where he goes and, and just explodes? I, I think, you know, if we're looking for some Brian Kelly Jedi mind tricks this, this spring, it's gonna. It's either gonna be, wow, Devaris Daniels has taken the strides needed and he's gonna be an alpha dog, or it's gonna be, you know, we're not seeing what we want out of Devaris. Is it gonna be that that spring where Lewis Nix just, you know, just so happened to fall behind Kona Schwenke at nose guard, or is it gonna be the year where, yeah, he's ready. He's a different guy. This is his team now. So um, those are the things that that kind of get you excited. Uh, those are the things that are fun to write and talk about. Um, but you know those are you know those are the guys I think you know from a quick look and then that Everett Golson is the the million dollar uh, you know X factor. I went with uh, three young guys besides Bryant who only played a couple games early in the season, but all unproven guys. Um, I really like Torrey Hunter a lot. Um, some positive news about him rehabbing, uh, doing some nice things in practice. Um, I know the depth chart really isn't great in terms of him being able to get minutes, but I think he could be someone that could leapfrog uh, his classmates. Um, I think he's that good. Um, hopefully he can continue to get better and add some weight, kind of a skinny kid like Fuller. 
Um, and obviously, you said Bryant. He was on my list as well. And I, I think there's probably going to be one of those uh, offensive linemen that were redshirting this year uh, among the freshman class. I know we have a, a nice group coming back, but um, I, I would pick Hunter Biven, I think, out of that group. Uh, really like what uh, he has to offer. Uh, he's got some flexibility, could play guard or tackle. I think maybe he could have a, a similar type of season that Elmer had this year if there's any injuries. So I'm excited well, to see. Do you see him sliding into the starting lineup? Because the, the offensive line next year is going to be kind of fantastically interesting to watch. Right. Um, you know, you've got is Elmer the guy who moves over to left tackle after playing you know, guard this year? Is Ronnie Stanley left tackle? Uh, Kelly was, you know, singing the praises of Mike McGlinchey, who is, you know, is tackle, you know, he's as prototype 2.0 right tackle as it gets, um, but he also said how athletic he was, so does that mean he's a left tackle? Um, and then, you know, there's a lot, I have a hard time believing that, you know, Christian Lombard just gets pushed out, or even Hanrat, who, you know, played his way into a into a tie with Elmer, so um, it's going to be really, really kind of fun to watch. It's amazing what happens when the people you recruit turn out to be good football players and play up to their recruiting level. It ends up giving you an embarrassment of riches and, and a depth chart that can withstand, you know, gigantic amounts of injuries to, you know, to Chris Watt, to Nick Martin, to Lombard, and, and you can still go and put together you know, some dominant, you know, offensive line performances. Yeah, it almost seems like, especially maybe on the interior, um, that this could be a season in 2014 where they actually would rotate some guys on a pretty semi permanent basis. Would you agree with that? I think so. I, I don't know that there's been any proof to support that that's what Kelly likes to do. Um, I know he's done it a little bit this year, uh, but it's it's you tend to say, hey, let's play the five best guys, and then when number six is needed, he's ready. Um, but, you know, oh, Matt Haggerty, I, the, the, the one thing I don't want to fall into, the trap that I think we all fell into last year was, hey, look, uh, Matthias Farley was the next man in, steps in at safety, you know, played competent football. Therefore, Matthias Farley is a great player. Um, right. He's going to be a lock in the starting lineup. So, you know, Hagerty, Hanratty, those guys, are they going to step up and be a, a starting football player, or were they just, hey, when your number was called, you helped us play good football? So I, I, I don't know what that answer is, but I think that's, the that's to me, the most fun part of, of obsessing about offseason stuff is trying to project you know, who is that guy that takes the leap? Who is that, you know, how does this offense change, you know, with Golson returning? You know, what what happens in the defense? That's why we have, you know, nine months to, to sit online and, and guess, and everybody is right until, you know, September 1st. All right, you mentioned him uh, a few minutes ago, and this is probably the most fun question that I'm going to throw your way. Um, where are you setting your level of expectations for the return of Everett Golson? and Irish offense next fall. I know a lot of people are talking about 35 points per game, um, fireworks left and right. Um, are you reining in on that parade a little bit, or are you kind of going full throttle right now with uh, Colson returning as quarterback? Yeah, I'm kind of at, like, all of the above. I, I don't think – I'm just looking right now. 35 points a game would put Notre Dame at – a top 25 offense, so somewhere in the mold of, uh, you know, somewhere between Wisconsin and Colorado State or LSU. And I don't think when you look at LSU, you thought they had a great offense. So 
I think you got to put that as 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 that number. I think 35 points a game seems like it makes sense. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think Kelly, who rarely says anything that you can that you can look at and really kind of bank on, um, let a few things slip after that Rutgers game when he said, you know, when we have a quarterback that can run the ball, we're going to be very difficult to defend. And I think he really believes that. I think that's I think that's what's going to happen. And I don't, you know, this this offense couldn't do things when it needed to because there were, you know, core deficiencies in, in, in the philosophy of what this team wants to do, um, which is why they, you know, scored 27, you know, 27 points a game. Is this offense going to be a touchdown better with Everett Golson? I think they will. I think also not just Everett Golson. I think, you know, the fact you have Troy Nicholas come, hopefully coming back with the, you know, first-round grade as his, as his ceiling. You got wide receivers. You know, you really lose only – T.J. Jones from your two deep of offensive players that matter, um, and I think that's 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 pretty that's pretty uh, makes you feel optimistic. Yeah, the point per game thing is interesting because you kind of like you said they could they average seven points more per game, and it, it seems like you know that's a no brainer. Um, I go back to that 2009 offense and how good that passing offense was. That team averaged 30.1 points per game, um, with a caveat that the running game is pretty was pretty bad that season as it you know typically was under Charlie Weiss um, the other thing I want to point out you know if you're going to average 35 points per game typically with Notre Dame schedule you're going to have to drop 50 55 points on about three or four teams um, I'm not sure if the offense is ever going to be consistent enough to be able to just flat you know average around 30 points per game um, obviously that's not going to happen in every single game but uh, you know are they going to be able to go down to Doak Campbell Stadium and score 30 points? You know, that would surprise me if they could do that, but if they take a big jump, maybe that would be something they could do. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say, you know, there's lots of lots of happy times now that Colson is back. Uh, I'm actually working on a three-part series with the, with the offense, um, specifically with the running, um, the running game in particular and kind of Kelly's history and everything. I think there's a lot of... Uh, misconceptions about you know the kind of offense that he runs and what he's done in the past. So um, I think there's lots of lots of interesting things to look at. Uh, yeah, I mean the big question too, year. when it's from the scoring, you bring it up. I mean there are no cupcakes for this offense, so it's it's <laughs> there isn't that one game where you get to you know pound in 60 and you know makes up for. Yeah, I don't think Notre Dame's going to go down and score uh, 50 points against Florida State. I think we'd be kind of foolish to think that. Um, but I think that, you know, and this is a big if, and it's, it's not something that we can just assume. Because Everett Golson hasn't played football in 12 months. I mean, working out with George Whitfield's cool, um, you, know, you know, throwing against tennis rackets and beanbags and backpedaling in the ocean is important. But he lost a year of playing football. Um, and I think if Notre Dame can just figure out a way to be competent, to be top 25 in red zone, in red zone touchdowns, meaning they're going to cash in, you know, two thirds of their red zone appearances for touchdowns, then you're you're scoring ten more points a game right there. Um, and I think that's 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 where the bar should be set. Uh, it's not that's not a overly optimistic viewpoint. I think you just have to do you just have to be competent in the red zone. And I think without you know, was it Tommy Reese had two of the three longest runs of his career against Rutgers. I mean, it's that's that's astoundingly. Astoundingly difficult to 
to run the, the offense and the system that Brian Kelly wants to run if you have no quarterback that, 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 that just cannot run the ball. So um, that to me is, the, is that X-factor stat that I think is going gonna, is gonna to really be a big difference. All right, I brought this up on Twitter a few days ago. Um, I can't remember who said it. Um, someone mentioned that Golson's up to 214 pounds. Uh, do you think he weighs that much? I kind of don't think he really weighs that much. Uh, I saw that number. Whitfield told me that he was up to 205, um, and he got to George at, I think, just below 190, like 189-190. Um, you know, so... Does he need to weigh more than 210 pounds? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think he was always a he's you know he's a four seven kind of guy. I don't think he's a you know he's not a four five forty guy, but um, you know he's he's an elusive, athletic, um, you know, quick guy. So I think that's fine. I mean, two fifteen. That's, that's a lot. Of, that's that's a like, lot of, yeah, that's a lot of weight. I, uh, that's the theoretic size, basically, with his height. Yeah. Well, gosh, that's that's I think that's more than Theo weighs too. So, um, but it's it's. You know, I think the thing that w- what's going to be interesting is, you know, Golson's going to have to add some bulk. Uh, but even, you know, his first freshman year, he was dinged up for pretty much most of that. You know, he didn't play it against BYU. Sat out large portions from, you know, hits or, or something else. So, um, you know, Malik Zaire better be ready um, to just to do something. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think we're all going to get a nice long look Golson in the UND.com practice videos in a couple months, and I think everyone's going to be very excited. All right, so our last question here as we turn our eyes towards 2014. Um, I think you could probably say the general consensus with the recruiting right now is a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I think coming off of the national championship appearance, everyone thought the floodgates were going to open and Notre Dame is going to have you know, a top two or three class, maybe even a top one class that kind of seems ridiculous with the way um, Alabama and LSU have been recruiting. Um, what's your uh, what's your feeling right now with with Kelly's recruiting for this 2014 class? And um, maybe give me some of the true freshmen or how many true freshmen do you think might have a big impact next season? Man, you know, I, I uh, maybe this is me and my rose-colored glasses, but I, I don't see. This class is that disappointing. I mean, I think it lacks the the five star studs that that maybe you know Notre Dame picked up late with the with the Vanderdoes uh, for a moment being on the Notre Dame team with Max Redfield, with uh, you know those those guys that kind of Greg Bryant. But I mean, if you look at what this team needs, I, I don't have any problems with this with this recruiting class. I think everyone expects. Uh, is it Niles Morgan to commit to the Irish at the Army Bowl? So that gives you another inside linebacker. I think you know it's this offensive line. If they end up pulling Braden Smith, um, that's that's another monstrous class at offensive line. I think you know I have now taken the I trust this staff to know what it wants um, far more seriously than what um, recruit Nicks seem to say. You know I, I I'm guessing that when we see a guy like uh, Greer Martini, we're going to be like, holy crap, this guy is big and strong and fast and looks like everything we thought an inside linebacker should look like. I think, you know, you're going to see an athlete like, um, you know, Andrew Trombetti, who's from all reports dominating at, at the Under Armour game, um, and say, hey, these guys are ready to come in and play. Um, I, I just, I don't know that it's, you know, I think the bump that Notre Dame got 
in recruiting was that bump from last year's class when you know they, they flipped three five-star guys in the last two months when they're on that roll. So, um, and I think a lot of the you know there's there's just a lot of good solid players. I don't think we know anything about them. I think quarterback is fine. I, I don't know that Kaiser's going to be the guy, but it sounds like they've already found their guy for 15. So they've got that solved. I think they brought in some talent uh, at wide receiver, which was a, which was another area where they want to just keep reloading. You know, the the front seven kind of edge players all seem pretty impressive. And I think now that you're not worried that Richard Jurgen has to be an inside linebacker, he's ultimately a lot better. But you know, who knows? I mean, these this staff is less. Uh, they're they're the first guy to offer. They're the first big school to offer players, and then everybody else jumps on board. Where I think in the past. You know, Notre Dame let other schools set the bar with Ty and Charlie, and then they came in. So I, I, I would much prefer this version um, of how it goes. And then you, you know, you, you poach a guy like uh, Jonathan Williams, who, who's that's an intriguing dude when you're six six, two thirty, um, and and have a you know a highlight tape like he has. Who knows? But uh, I don't know. I think if you look at the way freshmen have come in each of the last few years. Uh, they've come in and competed and, and kind of knocked out some of those legacy players. So I, I, I think the benefit of the doubt is clearly on the side of the coaching staff now. Yeah, one of the things I've been saying is there's kind of a, a comfort in the numbers and the amount of freshmen that are coming in. Um, kind of lets you know or kind of makes you realize how uh, important it is for Alabama when they can continually bring in 22, 23, 24, 25, 26 kids every year. Um, obviously, they're recruiting at little, a little bit different of a level. Than yeah, and they're running out the bottom 5% of their roster every year, too. So that's yep. that's the benefits of uh, oversight. If, if you could do that in, in Vegas or if you could do that on Wall Street, you'd be uh, you'd be arrested. So, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's it's, uh, it's like, but I mean, look at look at Rutger, Stanford right now. They have 16 commitments, right? And then what did they sign last year? Um, they're, they're not... It, they have 12 players they signed last year. It's like how do how do you how do you continue to keep your roster stocked if if you only sign 16 and 12 players uh, over these you know these two seasons? So you're you're onto something. I think roster management is something that is is taking an impeccable move forward um, with Brian Kelly and and you know only Notre Dame fans would 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 fret and worry that oh you know we're gonna we're gonna be over signing now because the numbers are gonna be really close. Because guess what, you know, especially in a program like this where people aren't playing and it's tough to get on the field, there's going to be transition every year. There's going to be guys that walk. You know, everyone was worried that Notre Dame was going to be over 85, and then how many scholarships, you know, players they lose almost, you know, before August. So that's 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 just the the realities of what's going on, and I think, you know, people are going to get used to it, and and it's I think it's only going to help, you know, build this program. Yeah, it was like two weeks ago. It seemed like Notre Dame. Well, Brian Kelly mentioned that they could take 27 guys this class, or in this cycle. Um, if they get Morgan this weekend, that'll be 23 good kids in the class. Um, you know, going back to what you said about roster management, I think they might kind of stand pat on that number, and then hopefully maybe get somebody at National Signing Day, um, and then hopefully you know, that kind of gives them some a couple more scholarships. I think for uh, 2015 to make sure that class is you know. 20 or more as well. It'd be nice to get 20 or more in three straight classes, which I don't know how long, how much that's happened in recent Notre Dame history. No, it doesn't seem like ever. And I and I also think, you know, 
I, I'm fully aware. I'm fully expecting some weird things to happen between now and the first Wednesday of February, just because it always does. So I don't I don't know who it is. You could you could guess that maybe it's Tyler Luatua after you heard what his I'm 100% committed means. Um, you know, it could be something happening in the positive. Um, it could be you know a coaching change that brings someone in or out. Um, and then who knows? Maybe Notre Dame could spring an upset for a guy like you know Juju Smith or someone that that they're really you know they're really high on. So um, I don't know. It's recruiting. That's why I I, I can't take it too seriously. Um, and but at the same time, it, it sure is a lot of fun to follow. All right, that's going to wrap up our 22nd episode of the One Foot Down podcast. Thank Keith, thanks for coming on with us and uh, talking some football. Oh, pleasure. All right, everyone, check out Keith on NBC Sports website, Inside the Irish, and also at Bleacher Report. He's the lead writer over there. Um, we'll probably be back in another week or so with another podcast. And until then, we'll see you later.